a few months ago, I saw a funny thing on the subway. It was my first time taking the train since the pandemic started. And as soon as I sat down, a musician got on and started to play. This guy was good, like really good. So when he started to come around and collect tips, I pulled out my wallet, hoping I had a few bucks on me. Except he didn't need dollar bills. This particular busker was actually accepting tips on his smartphone. All I had to do was scan a QR code on his phone with my phone, and I could donate a tip using digital payments app Venmo. That might sound like a lot of legwork for a Subway song, but it's just one of many ways we're starting to give up on cash. People all over the world are using credit cards and digital payments more and more often, even for tiny transactions. For the first time since paper money was invented over a thousand years ago, a future without cash actually seems possible. And the pandemic only brought that future closer. But paper currency is not going down without a fight. Even as digital payments increase, there are more coins and bills in use than ever before. Why? Because nothing, not even cryptocurrency, is as universal, foolproof, and anonymous as cash. And that is why it might be worth protecting. This is The Court's Obsession, a podcast that explores the fascinating backstories behind everyday ideas and what they tell us about the global economy. I'm your host, Kira Bindram. Today, cash and what we really lose in a world without it. I'm joined now by John Dietry, a senior reporter at Quartz who focuses on the future of finance. John is based in London. How is London today, John? Where in the city are you? London is lovely. I'm in Wimbledon. There's no tennis here that I know of, but uh, it's a beautiful day here. I want to start with like kind of a personal question, let's say. How often do you use cash? Almost never. I have a couple of bills uh, in my wallet that are just kicking around. I don't want to sound more international than I really am, but there's actually a couple different currencies. And the only reason that is is because I look inside my wallet so infrequently. First of all, I like the idea that you just have like the same three bills that have just been in your wallet for years. That might be true. Collecting dust. And I guess my first question for you is, is cash dead? Like we're kind of talking about how we never use it. Uh, Is it on life support? Is it a senior citizen living out its days in glory? Like, where is cash right now? How much is it being used uh, around the world? So cash is this amazing paradox. It is simultaneously losing popularity and at the same time more popular than ever. People are paying for things much less often with cash. But at the same time, there's more cold, hard cash, particularly U.S. dollars in circulation than ever. More than $2 trillion is in circulation. And it actually accelerated last year. It went up by what the Federal Reserve called an unprecedented amount. So it's this just beautiful, amazing paradox that cash is simultaneously not being used, but more popular than ever. And how does the use of cash or the prevalence of cash vary depending where you are in the world? How do different countries treat this? Japan's a good example. Uh, There's a really high dependency on cash. And there are a couple of reasons why cash is still 
popular in Japan. One of the reasons, I mean, it has an aging population. You know, you have a lot of senior citizens who have always used cash. They don't want to necessarily move on uh, to digital. That's a big part of it. There's also a trust that comes with that, trust and convenience. So that's a big piece. Uh, people often look at uh, Germany, very cash heavy. It's a certain conservativeness of society, perhaps, and just a, a cultural norm. You know, we tend to do, we're going to transact with what other people transact with. And once that preference is embedded, it takes a long time for it to change. What about on the other end of that spectrum? Like, where are some places that the use of cash is minimal these days? Sweden's a good example of that. Cash as as a form of payment has has really gone away very, very quickly. And it's a great example of, you know, what comes with that, some of the downsides of of cash going away so quickly. I remember uh, a friend who visited China a few years ago and, and her saying that it was basically impossible to pay with cash, that you could only in a lot of places use a QR code. Uh, on your phone. And I have to assume China is pretty far ahead on the on the cashlessness front. Is that is that right? That's right. I think that what you have are the urban centers that are extremely cashless. Everybody's using QR codes. Everybody has a mobile phone. But you don't necessarily see that in rural areas. You have this mix where, yes, China's far ahead if you go to Beijing or Shanghai. But if you go to a rural area, you might see something quite different. And that doesn't get talked about as much. So let's talk a little bit about the alternatives to cash. Like, give me sort of the like run through of all of the options that are available to people who are not using cash. In China, you know, you have Alipay and you have WeChat Pay. And so you have those transactions that are that are very, very popular uh, in the Western Hemisphere. You're going to see MasterCard and Visa. You have the, the card networks and you have all kinds of things that are built on top of that. You also have uh, your mobile ne- money networks in, in Africa, which are absolutely fascinating. And those don't necessarily run on uh, Visa and MasterCard. And you have those payment systems. Those are kind of some of the main uh, different frameworks and paradigms. So there's a lot. There's there's cards, there's mobile payments, there's uh, digital payment apps. There's lots of options out there. To what degree, in your mind, will cryptocurrency become a stand-in for cash in particular? It just doesn't look like it's going in that direction. If you read Nathaniel Popper's book, uh, Digital Gold, he's a New York Times writer, um, and he looks at the early days of Bitcoin, and it was envisioned as something for permissionless uh, peer-to-peer payments so that you and I could pay each other digitally just like we would in cash. We don't need an intermediary. We don't have to go through a bank or anything like that. Wanted to get digitally as close to cash as as it could. But people aren't really using it for that. Uh, People are generally using it for speculation. And, uh, you know, one good example, something I always cite, Stripe, the the payment processor, uh, Silicon Valley, darling, these guys probably are pretty interested in cryptocurrencies, probably pretty open-minded to it, but they dropped support for crypto payments years ago. And the reason was there just wasn't much demand for. It. And so I think that that tells you a lot. Cryptocurrency is very popular for other things, but it just doesn't look like they've caught on very much for for payments so far. Do you think there's an aspect of like coolness? Like it's cool to pay for something with your phone. It's cool to tap your watch to a bar and get a beer without any anything beyond that. Is that a factor in how this stuff is being adopted, do you think? It's cool until you try to do it at the subway and then it doesn't go through and you're standing there and the line's getting longer and longer and people are watching you try to pay with your watch and they're like, look at this guy trying to pay with his watch. He can't go through. There's probably some of that, but I think I think convenience is probably more important than cool. You're asking the wrong person. I'm definitely not cool, but I do get the feeling that cool kind of wears off and convenience carries the day. And ultimately, people are going to go with the best kind of money for their purpose. 
So we're talking about how there's a lot of bills and coins in circulation today, even while we are actually using digital payments more. What are people actually using cash for? Everyday people are, in many cases, using their cash as savings. They're using it because they're worried perhaps about the pandemic. You don't know what's going on. And so they might elevate their their cash holdings for that. That's what cash tends to be for. Uh, another personal question. Do you keep a, a cash squirrel fund anywhere in your home? And what is your address? And how? No, <laughs> just, just the first part of that question. This is on my prepper to-do list that I've never really gotten around to. You know, like I picture this wad of bills that's wrapped in kind of like a rubber band or that little paper ribbon, you know, like that, that thing you see in movies. But I, I haven't made my, my go bag. Have you? I don't have a go bag, which is funny because we're like in the middle of a pandemic and we're still like, I'll get to that later, <laughs> the prepping. Um, I do have like a, a cookie tin in my apartment that anytime I take out money from the ATM, I put a 20 in there. I don't know if it's specifically about cash. It's just a way to, for me to feel good like I'm saving money. <laughs> but but it is. Yeah, there is some instinct there of, you know, it, I know that I'm always going to have some money in my apartment uh, if I need it. It's interesting you say that because I was looking at the cash in circulation. And, you know, as we're trying to understand this riddle, why is cash and circulation going up when seemingly no one I know even carries cash anymore? And if you look at the bills that are being printed more, you know, ones and fives, not much of a change. It's still headed up, but it's not not going up that much. But it, it's the 20s and the 100s that have really shot up. And the 20s and the 100s are the ones that you use for hoarding. And, you know, maybe you use it because you're nervous about the pandemic. Maybe you use it because you want to avoid paying taxes and you want to do a big real estate transaction and you're just going to show up with a suitcase of money. But those are the bills you use for for hoarding. Uh, we should add a suitcase of money to our prepper, our prepper list. Put that in your go bag. After the break, what does a cashless world look like? Obviously, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Tell me a little bit about how that has impacted this transition away from cash. Has it sped it up in some way? It's sped it up quite a lot. You know, it's pulled our our digital future forward, as a lot of people say. And that's for several reasons. Part of it is on the merchant side. Merchants are preferring digital payments, sometimes because they're trying to protect their staff. Uh, cash got a bad reputation, uh, especially early on in the pandemic. So uh, that played a role. It's also just the case that a lot of people are buying things online. You know, whenever you buy things through the internet, you're almost always paying for that using um, a digital payment or a card. So generally during the pandemic, we are buying more stuff online, thus increasing this this digital transaction trend. And we're simultaneously hoarding more cash because we're freaked out, uh, thus increasing the cash hoarding trend. We're really just doubling down on some of the stuff that was going on before the pandemic. Exactly. Both trends were well in place and they both just moved up. It's It's fascinating. I feel like something that might be useful is like a pros and cons list for cash what are the pros of cash, using cash, cash being um, like the default option? One of the pros to using cash is that 
we can just do it. I can, I can uh, take a transaction from you. I don't need to have electricity. I don't need to have a computer. I don't have to figure out whether you accept Visa or MasterCard or Alipay or M-Pesa or something like that. You and I can do that and no one can stop us. Uh, you and I can do it privately. If the government said, you know, we really don't like the stories that Kira is writing, we're going to try to shut her down. Well, as long as you and I are transacting in cash, it's going to be hard for the government to stop that and for the government to know that you and I have been doing transactions. Uh, those are some of the the big advantages there of cash. My assumption is cash is good in an oh crap moment, let's say, like a disaster or uh, moments when you can't rely on the more computerized systems. Yes, absolutely. And you know, Sweden's central bank, you know, policymakers are there have talked about you know, if there's a really big natural disaster and you're having problem with data centers and you're having problems with electricity, there's going to be a lot of trouble unless you keep that cash infrastructure around and you still have ATMs and some kind of cash distribution and protection network. If you really were worried about your bank and you didn't trust your bank any longer, if you really didn't trust any of the financial institutions that you're going through, that's the nice thing about cash is you can use that central bank money directly and you might have some confidence and some certainty there. That's exactly why, one of the big reasons why uh, Western central banks are considering making their own digital currency is because they're concerned that one day we, we just won't have a lot of paper currency anymore, but we may still want that certainty of having money that's created by the central bank as opposed to money in our JP Morgan account or our PayPal account or whatever. We may want that certainty of, you know, full faith and credit in the U.S. government coming from, you know, the treasury as opposed to a commercial player. And that's what cash gives you. So cash is, it's good because ease of use, it's good because certainty, uh, it's good because anonymity and sort of um, the ability to exchange cash without any oversight. It is good for inclusion when we're talking about a rural uh, urban divide, and it is good in a moment of disaster or uh, instability. Is that a good list? Those are all good reasons, you know, and if you're, for some people, it's easier to budget. Um, some people like the the certainty of knowing exactly how much money they've got in their pocket. There are studies that show that it's easier to spend digital money than it is uh, physical cash money. It's kind of harder to part with something like that. Whereas, you know, maybe you're just seeing the numbers move around on an app. Maybe it doesn't feel so painful to spend for some people. Let's talk about the cons of cash. What are the negatives or the factors about cash that are working against it? So one of them would be, you know, if you and I are carrying around um, our go bag that is actually a suitcase of cash, it's dangerous. You know, we can be robbed. There's a danger element. Somebody might, you know, threaten us with violence to get our money. That's one of the reasons why Sweden put some policies in place a long time ago to move closer to digital currencies because there had been some high profile robberies and, and violence. And, you know, going digital was seen as a way to cut down on this. And if if, if you're talking to Ken Rogoff, former chief economist of the IMF, Harvard economist, pretty big deal in the economics world, you know, one of the downsides is that it can be used to avoid paying taxes. It can be used uh, by drug dealers and, and terrorists and the like to hide their tracks. And a lot of it is used for that. Um, cash is probably used much more for those sorts of things than cryptocurrency. And, and in his view, that's what the vast majority of cash is, is used for, at least a, a, a sizable chunk is, is being used for these illicit purposes. Uh, so that's a downside to cash. It's expensive to process it and, you know, it takes time. We can, you can't send cash necessarily um, across borders as quickly as you might be able to uh, a digital transaction. So those are some of the headwinds for cash. So it sounds like the downsides to cash are it's inefficient to some degree and in that sense more expensive. Uh, it is at risk of fueling the or does fuel the underground economy, but uh, it certainly enables that and tax evasion. 
it's gross because it's actually quite dirty. That's one I'm throwing in for you for free. <laughs> Money is dirty. Uh, those are sort of the main cons against working against it. And you have competing surveys about is cash really more expensive for a merchant than uh, digital payments? Because digital payments, I mean, are by no means free. They may be easy in some respects, but they're certainly not costless for merchants and ultimately for us because they pass that along to us. One of the advantages we keep circling here is is anonymity or the ability to conduct transactions without third parties or, or intermediaries. And I want to understand a little bit better why that's important. What are the downsides, I guess, of sacrificing anonymity as we move away from cash? So I think for some people, it's it's a principle. You know, in their day-to-day life, maybe it's not so important for them to be able to hide their transactions from the government. They're not actually laundering money. They just don't like the idea of the, you know, the prying eyes of the government, you know, in into their affairs. And I think, you know, there are real world implications sometimes. You know, our colleagues in Hong Kong have written about um, how during protests in Hong Kong, people began using cash again to pay for their subway tickets. And the reason they were doing that is because they knew that the government very well might track who had gone to the protests and who had been there and that there could be repercussions for going to those protests. In a lot of countries, we're lucky enough where we don't feel like we have to worry about that, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that it, that it can. It reminds me of the great uh, Venmo debate of our newsroom, which was a few years back, where the older portion of the newsroom realized that the younger portion of the newsroom was consistently using Venmo and also publicly writing like the little note that you put in Venmo, like for bills or for cocktails or an emoji of a margarita, and was fascinated by the idea that even though these are relatively benign transactions, like there's no secret uh, behind me having a drink with my friend, that uh, millennials or younger generations would just comfortably disclose that information, in this case, to the public or to tech companies without giving it much thought. And it sounds like that's a microcosm of of the shifts that are happening here. Yeah, you wouldn't want to, you know, use Venmo and put a little emoji on it if you were going to uh, an underground protest in Hong Kong, would, would be my guess. So it sounds like there's kind of a democratic argument for protecting cash. Is that right? There, There is. It's not necessarily that some people probably think that the government is actually looking to see what they bought at Walmart this week or at Costco, but they just want to protect that right. And they probably see it as kind of a, a check on the government even, that the fact that they can do that uh, perhaps gives them a counterweight to the government's influence. And, you know, and I've seen similar arguments come from Germany about, you know, that that importance and that, and that freedom. It's not just kind of a, a U.S. phenomenon. If we accept that premise that there is value in, in protecting cash, what does that actually look like? Who protects cash? My view, and a lot of this is framed from covering the U.K. And, and the U.K. Is, is a place where you know, cash usage has gone down very quickly. Bank branches have gone away very, very quickly. And at least the lesson that I've gotten from the UK and from, you know, reporting on, on Sweden's experience is that the government has to step in because banks don't want to be supporting this infrastructure anymore that's used less and less often. But then you still have people who want or need to use cash. And when there's not a commercial incentive to do it, then you need a public policy to do that. And that's what the UK has been experimenting with. They've been testing things like a banking hub in places where there aren't very many bank branches any longer. And it's just like one shared space and the banks take turns sending tellers to it. Um, and so, the, and they've done other things like considering requirements that more enterprises will have to accept cash and those sorts of things. So my sense is that public policy has to take over at some point. And in, to the point that we were talking about earlier, they also need to do it because they know that 
there could be disasters, there could be unexpected things come up. And it's my sense that perhaps the, the government is the one that provides that umbrella for that time. So the best way for a government to uh, protect cash, as it were, it sounds like, is to guarantee access to it, to make sure it's accepted in in a reasonable number of places uh, and is not shutting anyone out for lack of acceptance. And a part that you didn't mention, but I'm gonna, I'm going to speculate on, is to potentially ease the transition to digital payments, like our governments getting involved in helping people make what sounds like an inevitable transition, at least in a lot of ways that we use money. I think that's fair. And I mean, to be fair to digital payments, they are often also seen as an answer to, you know, financial inclusion and to bringing people into the formal economy and to expanding uh, access to financial services to lots of unbanked people who who don't have them. And and that's great because, you know, financial services tend to be more expensive the less money you have. It's just that governments and other entities really have this difficult balancing act of protecting cash as long as people are dependent on it, while also hopefully helping people kind of get onto that on-ramp of going digital or, you know, having proper financial services. I want to ask you to like look into your crystal ball and I'll give I'll throw a year at you. Let's say it's it's 2050. Where do you think cash will stand? Will we be in a mostly cashless world at that point? I think we will. I'm echoing uh, Ken Rogoff on this. He wasn't arguing for a cashless world. In reality, he was saying less cash. And I think that's where we're headed and probably where we want to be. You know, you still have it for the people who need it. You have it for emergencies. And you're always going to have people who who want it. It's kind of like LPs. There's always going to be the record collecting bunch uh, and, and the people who want the old format. But I think you will see it always declining. But it's never going to zero, or at least, you know, not in my lifetime um, and not for a very long time, because it does just have certain properties that you just can't reproduce digitally. John, I have one more question for you, and it's a fun one. What is your favorite fun fact about cash? What's a a nice tidbit that we can share with with listeners? I think one of my favorite things is, you know, that New Orleans is the place where cash goes to die and and they they ship bills that are, you know, worn out and, uh, you know, too tired to use and they ship them there and they shred them and it becomes compost. I think that's a fun fact. At first, I thought you meant that New Orleans is just where people spend all their money. (laughs) So that's where cash goes to die. And I was like, agree. Yeah, I've experienced that personally, but I I like your fun fact as well. Thank you so much for joining me, John. This was super fascinating. Thank you, Kara. That's our obsession for the week. This episode was produced by Katie Jane Fernelius. Our sound engineer is George Drake. And the theme music is by Taka Yazuzawa and Alex Sukira. Special thanks to John Dietry in London and Alex Osala in New York. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us. Offer them a cash incentive to listen. Then head to qz.com slash obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email and browse hundreds of interesting backstories. Mm-hmm.